Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today as we do our midweek recap on the sermon from this week. We continue in our series in 1 Timothy. We found ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and so that's where we'll start in verse 1 through 7. Uh, in verses in this chapter, what happens is Paul has talked uh, some theological stuff. Paul has talked about how public worship looks, and now he starts to talk about qualification for the two offices that are a part of the church. And when we look at the Bible, we see two offices, which I think we talked about recently in our podcast series, uh, the two offices there mm-hmm. of pastor slash elder, same, same word, and the deacon. This week, we just focused on the pastor elder uh, section, and next week we'll be looking at the section on, on deacons there. Uh, but how a church is structured, what would you guys say, what, what would two of you say? By the way, Pastor Spencer is not here. He was disqualified after we went through the list. <laughs> so we had to kick him out of this. Oh, he was convicted. He's, he was he's, convicted. He's repenting right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Anyways, uh, what do you think in general people's perspective is um, on church leadership today? Do they do they view it too high? Do you think they view it too low? You know, see it as something that doesn't matter. Put too much emphasis. What do you What do you guys think is the general consensus that you come across uh, with people? Anything? I mean, <clears throat> I think it's shifted a bit in the sense where I, I see like the older the older generation seems to have more of a sense of the you know reverence, if you will, toward pastoral leadership and to church leadership in general, um, and you know, a sense of like, <clears throat> you know, that like, oh, you know, hey, pastor, you know, and just really kind of having that, that um, vernacular and also just that persona of more reverence. Whereas the younger, more emerging generations, maybe um, it's a bit less and it's a little more informal in some ways, which is not necessarily bad. It's just, I, I noticed a, there's, I think there's been a shift. Um, and I think that's culturally too, where there's just this lack of like, you know, reverence for authority in general. Um, and you see that um, even within the church, um, just this kind of sense of, you know, casual and that kind of stuff. Um, so, and again, it's, it's, it's case by case, of course, too, because I mean, some families, you know, their the parents teach teach the kids more of respecting authority and all that kind of stuff, um, whereas others not as much. So I, I think it's changed a bit. Um, so yeah, and in mm-hmm. the context too, it depends. Like here, I see in Monroe, not being from Monroe, it seems a little bit there's more church culture here in some way, especially Baptist culture, and so I, I think there's a little bit more of that reverence, you know, whereas you know, like coming from like a, a major metropolitan area like Chicago, it's not as much. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Scott? I mean, in terms of what was the question exactly again? Uh, <clears throat> the question more was like towards church leadership and their authority. Do people see that as a high thing now or do they seem to water it down? It's lower and uh, what you've come across. In terms of authority, I would say it's very low at least just my, what I perceive in terms of like, and what I am assuming you're meaning by that is like, how much, how much weight do people give to what their pastors say specifically? And you've (laughs) mentioned this in your sermons, like in, in their preaching, like while they're preaching. And you might've even mentioned this yesterday uh, in your sermon, because we're recording this on Monday of how 
you know, the pastor will say something and they'll just kind of be like, no, I'm not sure if I agree with that. That's not what I think. And so I think that's a pretty common way to think. If not, if not, you know, a person actively thinking it, I think that we act like that a lot of times, um, where we just take it very lightly. If the pastor says something that's not what we originally thought or originally believed, um, Whereas I would hope that the the authority given would at least be to give weight to what they're saying and to really consider, you know, if you hear something that's not what you originally thought or something that goes against the way you're currently living, um, that would uh, that you'd begin to weigh. But I don't know how much that happens mm-hmm. nowadays. It seems like it, it doesn't very much, but maybe that's just my perspective as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could. I mean, there. I as I said in the message, there's definitely dangers with any sort of leadership, but including church leadership, where you can raise it too high yes. because you don't want everything that's said from the pulpit to be written in stone. Yeah, and I think you know, I think it might be like the that kind of sentiment of not putting too much weight on what the pastor says. Yeah, might be a reaction to the ways that people have seen the pastor abuse right, yeah. his authority, right, by either saying something that's not explicitly clear in Scripture mm-hmm. or or sufficiently proving it from Scripture when there's a controversial thing maybe mm-hmm. or or even just saying things that aren't he shouldn't even be saying from the pulpit, talking about things he shouldn't or with a demeanor that he shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could definitely see how people's trust in a pastor's leadership has been broken, mm-hmm. and not even by that pastor, maybe by a pastor in the past. Um, right. you know, from a church they grew up in or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but what we have yeah. to be careful to do, <clears throat> this is the point of bringing this up, is you can't throw the position out because of bad people who filled it. Right. Yeah. Um, so like in our country, uh, we have a very important position of president, and the president needs to be an important position in our country based on our constitution, you know, based on how we function and how our government is planned out and worked. And there's other, there's other positions that are very important as well with, with judges and Congress and all that. And no matter, no matter how we might feel about the people at the time who are holding those positions, we still need to see that position as authoritative and as important. Yeah. Right. And in, in, in a position to take seriously. Yeah. I think your example you used, it was CS Lewis, a quote that you used. Yeah. That was weeks ago. Yeah. That was good. Oh, it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, when he said, uh, "We salute the the uniform, the uniform." Yeah, mm-hmm. not the person, but yeah. you can't just throw it all away. Yeah, yes, right. And he was talking about uh, men being being pastors oh. and not women. Yeah, and he was saying so. Just because a man's not doing a good job, don't mean you go and yeah. take a woman and put her in there because she's not supposed to be there according to scripture. Yeah, but yeah. I think that same example mm-hmm. would apply to exactly what you're yeah. saying right now yep. too. Yeah. Of right. like. Yeah, there's bad examples of pastors out there, but it's it's the uniform, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense that needs to be respected. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think has, in my opinion, has went down yeah. over the years is even the idea of the uniform, just the so. position being important, especially when it comes to our society. Uh, not Probably not too long ago, if you told people uh, in your town that you were a pastor, that was a respected profession. Mm-hmm. It was a respected yeah. thing, and you were then seen as somebody who could be respected probably, uh, but not so much so 
uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not it's not seen that way. It's starting to be seen more as even weakness or like, why in the world would you go into that? Into mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's weird, though, because people definitely treat you different when they find out that you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know always if that's a respect thing yeah. or if it's a you now make me feel awkward because yeah, I know yes. you're a pastor. Now I yeah. have to not say certain things or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, or like it's. Yeah. I mean, in the sense of like, oh man, I'm in the presence of a holy man here. Something, yeah. Usually, and like I have to keep, I have to watch myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That's not necessarily a respect, right, for that person. It's more of a awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't want to just sit here and bemoan our authority and respect and our positions of us being pastors. Uh, I just, I just bring that up because it is something that we need to think about, and I think individuals in the church need to think about as well. Because Paul takes the time, not just here in Timothy, but also in Titus, and we see all throughout the New Testament him talking about the role of pastor elder and the importance of that position and that office that God has ordained, that God has has called, so much so that He gives us here a list of qualifications of what it would take for a church to find a pastor elder. For a man to do that position and fulfill that that position and that office, mm-hmm. um, and so it's something that needs to be held up high because it is a biblical thing. It's not something that man has created. It's very clear that this is something that God has purposed for us. If we believe this to be His word, then we have to we have to agree with that. We can't push it aside. Um, and so I think we, as pastors, have done a bad job sometimes with that authority. Where you will hear pastors be like, "I'd rather you not call me pastor. I'd rather you call me Tim. I'm I'm the same as you. I'm this and that." And and that is true in a lot of senses. Of I'm a sinner. I've been saved by God's grace. Mm-hmm. But I think when we right. use that language too much, like with teenagers, yeah. you're just trying to be cool with them and you want to be a friend. And it's like, well, actually, as a church, we didn't call you to be their friend. You're to be their pastor. Mm-hmm and to love and shepherd them and care for them. And they need to see you as that. And I'm afraid as pastors, we've watered down our position in order to be relevant or mm-hmm. in order to seem uh, friendly or more compassionate. And it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be that way. Right. It seems like it might be a reaction too to what we were just saying yeah, about the awkwardness so. of in an attempt to help people not feel awkward around a pastor, you kind of water down the importance of the office is what mm-hmm. you're saying. That yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah, and out in the community, I don't go throwing around that I'm a pastor. My, one of the reasons is it doesn't get me anything. I'm not. It usually uh, takes away. Yeah, I'm not. There's yeah. no. Yeah, there's no favorable thing. And I'm also I'm not their pastor, right? I'm only the pastor of the people here at this church. I'm, right. I'm not theirs. And so to them, I'm not Pastor Tim. I'm I'm just Tim. I'm not your pastor. Now, if they ask, obviously, I'd be like, oh yeah, I pastor a church in Monroe. I normally don't even say which one unless they keep asking mm-hmm. me more questions. Yeah. Um, and then from there, usually it's a little awkward for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, okay, so we get to the qualifications here and a pretty easy sermon to preach, honestly, just because you're just walking through these and they're pretty self-explanatory. Uh, you don't have to go into a great amount of detail, but it can be unnerving uh, preaching this because as we read these things, and the first one is very clear above reproach, uh, nobody, nobody can fulfill this, this list. You know, and I've always found it interesting during like ordination councils for deacons or uh, when you're calling a pastor, ordaining a pastor, you ask these, you usually have this listed, you know, and, and I often think, what's this guy going to say? Like, all right, Dave, uh, we're thinking about ordaining you. First question, um, are you above reproach? (laughs) No. 
okay, next. I mean, you know, it's just like that would be everybody. Right. And so we have to look and say, well, what is what is Paul getting at here? Mm-hmm. Right. What What is being said? Because Paul knows no one's perfect. He, he says that as well, even the struggles in his own life. Mm-hmm. He knows that they're there, but yet he knows he was called to be an apostle. He's been with Timothy long enough. He has to know Timothy's not perfect, but he's encouraging Timothy to pastor that church, oversee that church. And so he must think that Timothy qualifies uh, with the, with these uh, things that we see in the first seven verses. So above reproach, what is he, what is he getting at? What have you guys thought uh, when you hear that above reproach? I think you said it well in your sermon that that's kind of like a catch-all phrase. It's like a, the umbrella that every th- ev- all the rest of this is going to be under. Mm-hmm. Because if he doesn't, whoever is in question doesn't meet any of these other qualifications, that means that they're reproachable, right? That they um, they are no longer above reproach. You know, can any charge be brought against this person mm-hmm. in their character? And so I, th- I think you did a good job of explaining that in your sermon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about this because yesterday after church we had an uh, Israel uh, meeting for our uh, mission trip coming up, and I did a little study on Acts 13 about Barnabas and Saul being sent off. And it's interesting because it, the, it, it talks about that word, you know, that they were set apart or consecrated. And I think that's the idea. It's like, you know, being above reproach means that we're we're set apart, not better than other people, not by any means, as you said, perfected, but set apart for a unique task and for a unique purpose. Therefore, being set apart should reflect that in our character. And as you said, Scott, you know, just that kind of catch-all, like we're to be, how we talk, you know, our attitude, our actions, our words should be in alignment with Christ in the sense of like we, you know, a, a pastor knows someone who's in that authority and leadership knows they're set apart. And uh, I think keeping that in mind is helpful. It's like, oh yeah, you know, when you're out at, you know, when you're out and in, in, in about in the community, he talks about that. I'm sure you're going to get there, you know, like, you know, coming from like uh, how you, uh, you know, live outside, you know, to outsiders. Yeah. There, yeah. And so I think that being above approach means you're just, you're mindful of that God has set me apart for this specific task and I need to take that serious. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it was John Stott was saying, I I read his book a lot on this, on this section. I thought he did a good job with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was just saying how it's this idea of you're not open to attack and criticism rather easily. Mm -hmm. Right. It's somebody who's, and again, this points to the importance of being tested which is something that's a little questionable today of how we hire pastors, I think, mm-hmm. because it seems like Paul's usually talking about them coming mainly from within. Now, I know it's a different time, too, so there weren't like tons of Christians around and tons of churches around. Um, but there was this testing, and we see that later, right, of not a new convert. Um, but this, is it easy for people within the church to just be like, eh, I don't know? Yeah. You know, because that's kind of the thing. It's like, are you are you sure? I mean, it would be, mm-hmm. it's the way I sometimes think about what would it mean to be above reproach is that if you think of any of these other qualifications that are listed, you know, if, if he was accused by somebody of one of those things, like being quarrelsome, um, if the response of the people who hear that accusation is, yeah, I can see that. Right. Well, then he's above reproach mm-hmm. or he's not, above, not above reproach. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But if the response of people who hear that would be, really him? 
Yeah. That doesn't seem like him. That's very out of character for him. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what he's getting at when he <clears> says above reproach, that it would be unbelievable. Like you're, And that's why I think, I don't know where it is, if it's in First Timothy or Second Timothy, but if there's ever an accusation brought against an elder, there have to be two witnesses two, yeah. because mm-hmm. their character is supposed to be above reproach. And there's a reason for that. Right. Yep. And then I think importantly, too, is I think the pastor to fulfill this of being above reproach should understand that they're not. <laughs> and in so doing, though, be looking to the one who is and that that is Jesus and pointing people to the one who is above reproach. You know, I, I would be very scared of a man who was like, yeah, that's me. I'm above reproach. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely a leader. I'm definitely somebody you should look at. I'm, that, it's those people you're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd, um, you start to question them mm-hmm. a, a little bit. And so in the church, we need somebody who is going to be pointing people to Christ regularly, not themselves, not anything like that, but to but to Jesus, the one who actually fulfills this list uh, perfectly. After the above reproach, it went to his marriage. It says the husband of one wife. Um, as we mentioned, it, the importance of marriage is all over Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. Uh, it's something that God has designed, something that God has planned for a man and a wife to come together, the two become one flesh, and it is to be a bond that is never broken. Uh, now we see, we do see in Scripture a couple places where it is permitted for divorce, but we have to remember in saying that that Scripture also tells us God hates divorce. There's also that, um, and so I don't think it, it's something where we should try to find loopholes uh, to find a divorce or a reason to get out of a marriage, uh, and and we need to see it in light of what God has said that we are one flesh. The two has come together, and this is a this he, Paul says this is a mystery, but I'm speaking of the church. And, and if here's, here's where it gets sticky. We don't want to find loopholes with our salvation, right? To where Jesus could be like, yeah, but I found a loophole. So you're out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't want that. And so we shouldn't want it for our marriage either. Mm-hmm. And just trying to look for this quick out. And so there are many options of what does this passage mean? And I think different churches can have different stances, honestly, because I don't think it's necessarily cut and dry. Uh, of what it does mean. I think there are some things we can say it doesn't mean. Like some people would say you have to be married in order to fulfill this position. I don't think that's true um, because we don't have record of Tim. I don't think we have record of Timothy being married or Paul for sure isn't married Mm -hmm. and he would feel fine in these positions and he's the one saying this. So it can't be that. Uh, The polygamous thing is definitely a viable option because that seemed to be kind of common in the day. Uh, the whole remarriage thing, uh, not necessarily, which I find this interesting, not necessarily a man who wasn't divorced, but who doesn't get remarried. Because even if they're divorced, they're still a one-woman man, technically, is what people would say. Um, there's been like some high-profile cases of that. Charles Stanley is one of them. Uh, and his wife, I think his wife left him. Uh, they let him be the pastor as long as he would not remarry. Because then they said he still filled this position. He's still qualified, hmm. of which I believe he's still doing. I don't think he's retired yeah, I think yet. So. Yeah, I, um, I just say him, he was a prominent Southern Baptist mm-hmm. president yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, so that brought a lot of attention, but that's how their church interpreted in this. But some would even say it, if your wife passes away, you can't remarry, hmm. of which there's places in scripture though, where Paul specifically tells those who are widowed, if you can, to remarry. Yeah, right. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't think that has much standing at all. 
that yeah, one. And it's clear. I mean, death is what does break the marriage bond, you know, right. like that's pretty clear in scripture as well. Right. Yep. Yeah. And then there's another view that it, it means, um, a one woman man of like who you're married to now, you love her, cherish her mm-hmm. and honor her. Um, and, and that that is seen in your relationship. And so those are those are some of the different options really out there that different churches look at and, and try to talk through and, and discuss. But whatever it is, it seems as if um, if the man is married, that he needs to be taking it serious and to be loving his wife and caring for his wife and that the wife understands that and knows that, that she would answer that way, not out of fear or rejection, which we would say the same for the children later on in this passage, uh, but out of respect and out of care and concern and compassion and love that she has for her, for her husband. And that needs to be modeled is what Paul is getting at. If, if the person is married, who is going to be ordained or called to be a pastor elder, Mm. anything else there for you guys on that section? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, stop put the next ones kind of together. He called it his self mastery, sober minded, self-controlled and respectable. And he was, and these words point to one who they know themselves and they can also control themselves. Uh, they're somebody who it seems to be is level headed, right? The sober minded means to be in control of your thoughts and your capacities and then being self-controlled, being able to control yourself with your thoughts, which then in turn makes you a respectable person because you know how to handle yourself uh, well. And, in Titus, Paul adds um, a lover of good, which you could say in this, um, disciplined, I guess you could put in this section section as well, mm. but having a self-mastery. Now, uh, why is this important for the pastor to be sober-minded, self-controlled, to have this mastery of their self? What do you guys think? I have my thoughts. I didn't share them all yesterday. Well, but. <laughs> Ooh, well, well. I mean, I think it shows... Um, maturity you know that there is a sense of you know like like we see you know paul talks about that we are to grow up in him you know we are to grow up we are to mature in christ and i think that's why paul says that you know those who are called to this uh, leadership should not be new converts because there's a natural obviously immaturity when we're new in the faith in Christ. And so I think having self-mastery, it's one of the fruit of the spirits too, self-control. I think the Greek idea is to literally to master yourself, to have control. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. And that is, that is evidence of maturity. You know, that that's the discipline that we are, we are to, you know, throw off everything that hinders, as it says in Hebrews 12. And that just takes, that takes maturity. That takes time that takes the sanctification process. And so I think that's what, what I, I thought of yesterday in your sermon was just like, you know, this is, this is evidence like someone who's called to pastoral leadership needs to be mature. Not, you know, not fully like, like, you know, obviously not perfected, not someone who's like necessarily like even gone, you know, oh, have a, has a degree, like a seminary degree or a PhD, but someone who is mature in the things of God and growing in that way so that there is a, you know, they can respond to situations instead of be so reactive. They can kind of, kind of temper or cool their temp, you know, their, their anger or their, you know, curb their pride, et cetera. I, th- I mean, I think that's a great description of the idea of maturity because what's the opposite of that? The immaturity is typically characterized by impulsiveness and reactiveness yep. and um, not thinking 
mm-hmm. about what you're saying before mm-hmm. you say it and the impact that it could have. Um, so I, I think that was a good mm-hmm. explanation. Yeah, it's hard to talk just about this one section without getting into other sections, I think, because yeah. when you start talking about the temperament, which Paul gets at later about being not quarrelsome, not somebody who's angry, not a fighter, you know, I think it goes with this mm. as well. Um, and and I, I have found that in pastoring, <laughs> there needs to be somebody in the room with a level head because things do come up and emotions start going because you get frustrated um, and the Bible tells us to be slow to speak in Proverbs. Mm-hmm. And it even talks about the wisdom of that, the wisdom of not speaking at times, the wisdom of just listening and observing. And I think the pastor elder position needs to be a man who is willing to listen, is willing to think, and is willing to push aside their personal feelings and emotions at times and then see everything through the lens of scripture. And I think that's important in knowing yourself is I need to know myself enough to say, I'm a sinner. And what really sets me off right now is politics. And so if you start talking politics, I know in my heart, I'm going to start getting red hot. If you're not saying what I want to hear you say. And so I'm going to just start going off maybe, but I need to know this about myself. This is a struggle maybe that I have. And so Am I able to control that, to think through it, so that when someone in my congregation who I'm to shepherd, to love, and to care for is saying something different than I think, to not label them a sinner and heretic when that's not true according to Scripture, they just see something a little different than me. Can I control myself in that enough to think through this well, right? Or we've all been in meetings before when there's a group of people and you're talking about some serious issue, ideas will bounce around. And they need to be thought through well because not everybody in there has good ideas. <laughs> not all those need to come in light. Some people are being selfish. They're saying the idea that's going to benefit them and their family the most, not everybody else. And the pastor has to shepherd the whole flock, the whole congregation. And so, again, knowing themselves is very important and being able to uh, see themselves in light of Scripture, of what Christ has done for them, and now what Christ has for the church and what wants for the church. You have to be able to get to get past that and to think through that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes sometimes that, that involves the pastor being ridiculed because, I mean, there's been times when I've had to make decisions, I feel like, and I, I'm trying to make the best decision. I'm trying to get my emotions out of it or even my own desires out of it. And the label that gets put on is you're just weak. You're scared to do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think I'm scared to do it. I just don't think this is the right thing. You know, like there's times with uh, business things within the church, you know, be like, well, you need to handle this. You as the leader should go up to them and tell them they are wrong and that they're doing this wrong and that they need to do it this way, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I do agree with you that I think they should do it this way, but I don't agree with that approach. Uh, we're not, we're not Ford Motor Company. You know, I'm not, I'm not just some business out there mm-hmm. and I can just go fire people. These are my church members. Mm-hmm. These are yeah. people who I love and care for. And so we have to handle this differently, right? And so you need somebody, and I think that's what Paul's getting at, is you need somebody who is willing to, to do that, to be self-controlled in situations. Uh, and, and again, it takes a certain type of person. And I would question somebody if they came to me and said, I think God's calling me into the pastorate. If they are not self-controlled and they seem to be somebody who is typing on Facebook all the time or on Twitter all the time, that's a real quick thing. We're like, I don't think so, man. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're 
fit for this office mm-hmm. because you're not self-controlled. Yeah. Yeah. Right. At least not right now. Not right now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> right. Which could change, yeah. but not right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need here. And yeah. and that's what goes. I, that's why I say the quarrelsome and the anger yeah. uh, is connected for sure, because we definitely have that. And I, I know for <clears throat> for me personally, there are times where I hear things and I'm very frustrated and I've learned not to send that email mm-hmm. <laughs> for a couple yeah. days. You know, mm-hmm. let's. Uh, Let's think through it, you know, um, or whatever decisions might need to be made. It's like we right. didn't, we need to ponder this because right now this seems like the right thing to do, but I wonder if that's going to feel like the right thing to do in a couple days. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know, I don't know if you guys have ever like yelled at your kids or got mad at your spouse, and you say something, and at the moment you're like, "This is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep doing it." Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, like two hours later, you're thinking about it, and you're like, "That really wasn't that big of a deal," mm-hmm. and I just made it a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And this is on me. Yeah. 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 That's the thing is like normally that goes back to the maturity thing of you learn how to do that by your mistakes <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah, exactly. you right. Know, right. Of like seeing the times that you weren't self-controlled mm-hmm. or respectable in that sense. But that's yeah. being self-controlled is realizing that I've, I've met too many people who are not with what I feel like is like, you're not willing to look inside yourself yeah. ever. You're very right. And yes, they're blinded by their own pride and yeah. self. Yeah. Or they'll just hang on to it. And I'm like, you yeah. know, you're wrong. Yeah. No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, we're not perfect in any of this, but it's, it again is pointing to, I think the importance of this leadership and this authority that Paul is talking about with the pastor elder and that it needs to be taken seriously that you're appointing the right people mm-hmm. into that position. Now, a big one, well, it also says hospitable. So we can, I don't want to talk about that too much right now. That's a good one, though, right? Letting people in your home, caring for people, mm-hmm. showing compassion for people, yeah, uh, can play out in a yep. in a lot of ways. Yeah, right. Yep. People use that different ways. Yep, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but one of the big ones, and I want to get to this because I know our time is going down. That's going to be different than what we're going to see with uh, deacon <clears throat> office is able to teach. Specifically with the elder pastor, he says able to teach, and in Titus one nine, he speaks of it in a little greater detail of being one who holds to the mystery of the faith, who knows the faith, and who is able to teach that faith to other people and to get that word out. So it says, hold firm to the word. Again, not coming up with new things, not coming up with new strategies, but teaching what was taught to them through the word of God. And so this involves training, right? I didn't even bring up yesterday. Paul himself was trained. Yeah. I mean, he's like, well, even after, I mean, he was more trained than any of them. Yeah. God saves him. And what does God do? Go get trained some more. Yeah. If anybody could have been like, why me? What are you talking about? I don't need to be trained anymore. Mm-hmm. Go get trained. And we know that he that he was. And and so I think it's a, a good thing to talk about. Maybe maybe people are interested in this. Some of like um, seminaries, um, Bible colleges, or not doing those. Does a pastor have to, does a pastor have to have those things? Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Because you are trained dave mm-hmm. with uh because you went where you went to Michigan theological seminary yep mm-hmm. where'd you go but you what was your bachelor oh uh taylor taylor yeah taylor fort wayne yep mm-hmm. and how many years was it at the seminary uh so f- four years undergrad and seminary i spent four years i did i did uh not full-time i did mostly part-time but i got right. i did a ma- i did a master's in theological studies yeah and then scott you have a bachelor's from a bible college yeah and you're working towards 
my Masters of Divinity. Yeah, how far along are you in that? Not very far. <laughs> how I many hope. credits do you have to have for that to finish it? 80? Probably 85. How many you got? I don't know. Yes, you do. Less than 26. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got more than six. No. He just likes to tell people he's doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I signed up. I'm a perpetual student. <laughs> no. Oh, so funny. why did you guys find it important to go to Bible college and to go to seminary? I originally wasn't going to go uh, to seminary, and I talked with my pastor about it at the time because I was of the opinion of that just seems like a waste of time to me. Whereas, like, I could just jump right into this. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that there's churches that I would be able to serve at. I'm serving in our church already. You know, I just want to start doing this, you know, and just kind of like a, a zeal mm-hmm. about it. And he was, he was being sober-minded and self-controlled. And just the way he explained it to me was he gave me the illustration of how God can use you to chop down a tree if you're a rock. But it's a lot easier for you to be useful in ministry if you've been sharpened and honed for the task that you're actually trying to do. And that's the way he explained it to me of that, that time of preparation and of learning in a Bible college or seminary setting is sharpening you, Mm -hmm. making you a useful tool to have the skills that you're going to need, the knowledge that you're going to need to actually do the work of pastoring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I went. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I continue to go too, because I get dull. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Keep getting sharpened. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, David? So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I didn't go to school for ministry. Um, I got accepted at Taylor for their music program to be a music major. Um, but I went. I got deferred to the small campus, which used to be a Bible college, Fort Wayne Bible College. And then Taylor bought this campus and called it like Taylor North in the Fort Wayne area. And uh, I was going to transfer to the Upland, the main campus. Um in, after my freshman year, but that's where the Lord got a hold of me and called me to ministry. And so I changed my major to pastoral ministries, and it was still under like the old guard, if you will, of like the Fort Wayne Bible College faculty. They were still they stayed on, and so it was a very strong Bible. And so I was a new Christian, and so that was really neat. And so after I graduated, got married, it was probably about two years after I was at a church in Ohio, and as a student ministry pastor, and I just realized, you know, I just need to not be so dull, right? Mm-hmm. I just need to sharpen. I need to, I need to grow. And I, you know, talk with my wife about it. And, um, there was really no option where we were living at that point in Ohio. So I applied to a couple seminaries and got accepted to Michigan Theological Seminary. And then when at night, it was nice. It was conducive to like work. I was still in ministry mm-hmm. and able to do classes in the evening. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was really a great experience because I was very hungry to learn and wanted to get that theological education. And so, um, God kind of pulled me into it initially in college, and then and then after a couple of years, felt that stirring to go further. So, how much do you guys feel you lean on your education for your tasks now here at Middle Missionary Baptist Church? Every day. How? How? I mean, studying Scripture. Um, I, not without a doubt, the most valuable thing I learned was how to properly interpret the Bible. I mean, everything I do here has to do with teaching the Bible or leading other people to understand the scriptures. And if I didn't know how to do that myself, which I'm not saying I'm perfect in that, I can make interpretive mistakes at times. Um, But just learning how to do that and how to do it well, but also understanding like 
at least basic theology and its formation and how to communicate truths about God to people is, is a big deal. Um, so my, I know that some Bible colleges and seminaries will have like classes that were more focused on like church administration, even and things like that. I didn't have anything like that. All of mine were focused on biblical and theological studies. Um, and so like there's knowledge that I, that I gained from that about like the ancient near East Mm -hmm. that helps me understand interpreting, you know, scripture, you know, so like an example would be like, what does it mean to be made in the image of God or what is a covenant? Like and all of that is impacted by an understanding of the ancient Near East and how those societies functioned yeah. and their culture. And so learning things about that even just helps me interpret scripture. Yeah. And so it was all, I feel like my education has, has definitely been focused towards this qualification of able to teach, mm-hmm. you know, are they able to understand scripture and to communicate it effectively to other people, yeah. right? Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I it's every day for me too as well because, like, when I when I changed my major from music to pastoral, Dr. Bieberstein, who was the preaching professor, he would him he was old school, you know, just expository. Just you know, he would not let us do topical. He 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 really he said get in, dig in, even like even a little bit in the Greek language, even though it wasn't a Greek class. And uh, he really was the one that taught us how to preach, you know, taught me, you know, specifically exegesis and really getting into the text and would not let us go off that whatsoever. And then in seminary, going on the going on the theological tract, that's where I learned, you know, I, mean, I took a whole class on Trinitarianism, you know, a whole class on understanding the Trinity and historical theology and all that. And so I, I use it a lot. And plus, you know, from a practical standpoint, when I was in college, it was the first time I started actually getting involved in worship ministry and I was leading worship. You know, we had prayer and praise times, we had chapel, you know, leading worship teams and that kind of stuff. So it's very useful, my education. The other thing I would say that it prepared me for that's not necessarily related to what I was learning, but how I had to learn was there is a lot of reading that you have to do mm-hmm. uh, in the work that we do. You're not just reading the Bible, you're reading commentaries, mm-hmm. studies, papers, other things that people have done. I mean, pastoral ministry and teaching is a thinking job. You have to think a lot and you have to be very disciplined uh, to be able to do that well and and to properly interpret scripture, give it the time that it takes. And um, going through college, and so this wouldn't necessarily be for Bible college or anything, but any person aspiring to ministry that wants to do it, I would encourage them to go, not just because of what they're going to learn, but also because of the study habits that they're going to create by doing it, because it's going to take work, a lot of hard work and thinking work. And so if you're not disciplined in that kind of way to do that, you're not going to do well or you're not going to do justice to the office, I don't think. So I think it taught me that too, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying mm-hmm. there. Uh, my, my experience is different than your guys. Is I, I do have a Bible college degree. I'm not a big fan of that degree, though, honestly. And where I went, mm-hmm. I was bounced around with schools closing and some different stuff just, just of life. Um but it would probably be similar to what you're saying, Scott, is it did teach me the necessity of studying and the importance of it uh, to be able to preach the word of God correctly. And the school I graduated from is from a denomination I would not agree with in a lot of things anymore. 
Um, but it gave me a drive and a passion to know God's word better and showed me the tools of how to do this, how to do this well mm-hmm. of then I think there has to be some discipline in your life individually to then do that, which makes it not necessary for you to go to Bible college or seminary in order to be a pastor elder. Mm-hmm. It is a good tool. It is something that is, uh, helpful, but it isn't necessary I think the church can also do this work to help raise up the pastors and the elders. If if the pastors and elders of the church would put the work in to help people to grow into that, it can be done. It'll take time and it'll take effort, but that's okay. Uh, it needs to, uh, but it can be done well. And then you can see churches producing men ready for ministry in different areas. And again, it's not pushing the seminary aside or anything like that. But it is work that the church can do because, and I say that because scripturally you don't see seminaries, right, you, don't, yeah. you don't see yeah. colleges. This is the work that the church was called to do. Mm-hmm. And just because we have seminaries and stuff doesn't mean we should push aside all of that work to them. Mm-hmm. I think the churches need to be faithful in doing that. And so as we see men who seem to show some promise in these qualifications, who desire the task of pastor elder, as Paul says there, um, and that they see that it's a noble work. I think the pastors, elders should be the ones who come alongside of them and maybe even help them to say, you know what, I think maybe you should go to college. Or, you know what, I don't think you need to go to college. I think we can do that right here mm-hmm. with what you're looking to do. Yeah, yeah, and sure. we can help you. And that's what Paul tells Timothy in the next letter. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, mm-hmm. entrust to faithful men yeah. who will be able to teach others also. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember telling somebody once, I was like, yeah, I had to pay $40,000 to learn how to do research. Mm -hmm. I'm like, they didn't write sermons for me. They're not really giving me anything. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they can't teach you much practical stuff. When you actually start going, the classroom's not conducive for that. I mean, we could sit and talk all day with people who are in it, but I don't realize really what they're saying until I'm in it, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But there is is a place for schooling. I don't want to minimize that at all. Yeah. But absolutely. I do feel a lot of churches have kind of shirked that responsibility off and oh, yeah. that's sad. They mm-hmm. they shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we are to be teaching the word of God. That that's one of the reasons why we see the office of deacon even established in Acts chapter 6. Uh, so that they would continue to teach the word of God and to be in prayer. But then it goes on after that and talks about uh money, right? Was that the next one? I think, no, well, we skipped not a drunkard. Again, that's cut and dry. Uh, his temperament, we talked about this already. Not arrogant. arrogant. Did you hear that? Not arrogant. Arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> Quick-tempered. Um, but then it, it does talk about money, not a lover of money, which is important, uh, especially with how that has been twisted so much now that there's a term, as I mentioned Sunday, the prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. where we find men who are such lovers of money that they deem God's blessing based on money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we see that right here pretty clearly. Uh, then it talks about his home life with his children. Titus and Timothy have a little bit different because Titus talks about his children being believers. Uh, Timothy doesn't say that which would lead to a, a good discussion we don't have time for today uh, about all of that. But I think the general sense is is respected by his family, loves his family, cares for his family, and his family knows that. Uh, and so that's, again, an important thing when trying to find a pastor elder of knowing his home life the best you can. And then Paul says, <clears throat> talks about spiritual maturity, not to be a new convert. Um, Titus and Titus, Paul would say, upright and holy. 
on top of that, pastor needs to be one who's proven himself spiritually, doesn't just talk about the faith, but actually walks it, has been through some of the fire, has come out on the other side, has been refined, has been sharpened, as Scott was talking about, right? Um, and so as you start to put all this together, Paul takes it one step further and mentions, Dave, what you talked about at the very beginning, uh, have a good reputation on the outside. And again, we have to be careful with that because we can twist that as well to where we're giving in on things scripturally and saying, yeah, but we need outside outsiders to like us. Because mm-hmm. if they don't, they'll never come in. Mm-hmm. And that's not what Paul's getting at here. Right. Because, again, Paul would be killed by outside, outsiders. Mm. So he wasn't just some people pleaser. Right. Um, but I think I think what it means, I mean, when I think about it today, the pastor should be one who pays his taxes, who's a good citizen, mm-hmm. right? Respects the laws of the land, um, respects people outside of the church. And, yeah, I think generally in America – it's not that hard for pastors to have a decent reputation. So like if your kids go to school, the teacher should see you as a good person, not as somebody who's a jerk to them and rude to them, but that you're kind and compassionate. Mm-hmm. And that's what they would say. Like it seemed to be kind and compassionate to their children. Mm-hmm. You know, the principal of the school, if your kids are involved in activities, that's what, this is what people would be noticing. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just a cold all the time. No, but just, that's what I mean by this good, good reputation mm-hmm. um, should be seen. Now, now, with all that being said, this is where I would get a little picky on how we find pastors today, which is very scary, in my opinion. And you guys are part of part of this here, of accepting resumes. You go through this interview process that's usually very minimal. I mean, it's as exhaustive as it can be. You call references. You ask the right questions. You get the right answers. But it is hard to know when you bring somebody in, are you spiritually mature? Mm-hmm. Are you self-controlled? Mm-hmm. So that does worry me some of how we, a lot of churches do hiring. Um, for me, I'm a lot more comfortable trying to find people to hire based off of people I trust or even from within mm-hmm. <clears throat> to find other pastors that I trust that I know are faithful and say, do you guys know of anybody? And then getting it that way, because the whole process of like going on, Oh, what are those websites called? Like Indeed, is that one? Yeah, yeah. You know, they got the Christian versions of those where you can put out, I need a pastor, and you get 400 resumes. Mm -hmm. I remember doing that for, uh, I think it was Scott's position at one time. Mm. We got like 400 resumes in. People are like, I'll work in a Catholic church. I'll work in a Methodist church. I'll work in a Baptist church. And I'm like, what what are we doing? Not you, not you, not you. Yeah, I'm like, what (laughs) is happening here? You know, it was just... It was just crazy to me. And, I'm, and I just remember thinking, this can't be the way it needs to be done. We don't know these people. Yeah. You know? And uh, and so, I, I don't know. That's just something I was thinking about as going through this. It just churches need to be careful when they hire a pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's something to consider. It's like you can't, you can't judge a pers- any of these qualifications on a resume. No. Mm-hmm. You have to actually know them. Yeah. You have to actually observe them mm-hmm. in their home life <clears throat> and... I mean, unfortunately, the way not just that church is higher, but also the way that the men who are looking to serve in churches, they can't go through a super long process like that. Of, right. Hey, come live here for several months and yeah. we'll see how it works out. And if it's going good, we will mm-hmm. bring you on. Yeah. That doesn't work either. Like they can't do that to their family. No. And so I think what you said is right, Tim, of having a strong network of churches that you that we that churches can reach out to and have good honest conversations and know 
that we're getting the truth right. about somebody is really important. Um, yeah. Well, as we look at this list, it becomes clear, like we've been saying, nobody can fill this list perfectly. Nobody's family life is perfect. Uh, there's definitely days if you sat at my house, you'd say, well, he can't pastor anymore. Uh, <laughs> no mm-hmm. doubt. Uh, or if you sat in my car or heard my thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. No, we, we, he can't, he can't do this anymore. Uh, but again, just trying to wrap it up yesterday and this was part of my worry with this message is that it was all law. It was just like all these rules. Um, but we do need to be pointed again to the one who does fill this perfectly. And scripture actually tells us that Jesus is the head of the church. Mm-hmm. It's not some pastor who's the head of the church. It's, it's Jesus who makes those decisions, who has a plan and makes it all work out for good. And, and so d- despite the, Again, I, I don't want to talk just to our church, but I know people from our other people aren't really listening. Uh, but what I would encourage, like some other church who has a good pastor, would be, listen, this guy's not perfect. You might not love his preaching, right? Or you might not love the songs he picks or whatever. But when you look at this list, is he a good guy? Does he love the Lord? Is he doing his best to show you compassion and care? If it is, then you should hold on to him. Mm-hmm. And you should love him. Mm-hmm. Sure. And you should respect him and honor him mm-hmm. and try to help him yeah. the best you can. Because nobody has all the qualities that make up a perfect pastor. You have people who are just dynamite preachers, mm-hmm. but they're not that good when it comes to one-on-one situations. Mm-hmm. You have people who are just great at visitation and, and just being there for people. And then they're just, they're not the best preachers, Right you have all this kind of stuff with all these different people. And I think if, if you're a church who has pastors, elders who genuinely love the Lord are not heretical are doing their best to teach you and you see them as hard workers. They're, they're not just trying to stay where they are either. They're trying to learn more and to help. I don't know what more you can ask for. Yeah. I think a lot of times churches, I know we're trying to wrap this up, but it seems like what is generally looked for in many churches today, and I know why it's a temptation, is to look for the most gifted person, mm-hmm. not the most qualified person in their character. And we've seen, I mean, I don't even have to say recently because it probably happens every year, every couple years of very gifted men falling under reproach mm-hmm. and making a mockery of the faith, yeah. right? And yeah. so, yeah, they're gifted. Mm-hmm. They're the best preacher they're the best evangelist or apologist or musical artist or whatever, but they've made a shipwreck of their faith, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody who used to trust them now trusts nobody. Right. Right. Yep. And so don't make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, you yeah. know, look at these qualifications and trust that the Lord knows what he's doing with his church. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all I've got. Next week, we'll be looking at the role of deacon, which is there in chapter three, the next few verses there. What does it go? Eight to? Eight to 13. 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eight to 13. And so we look forward to being at that. I look forward to talking about what is a what is a deacon? What does the Bible talk about when it's talking about a servant, which actually all of us are to be mm-hmm. as Christians. Uh, but there is this office of, of deacon, and we'll talk more about that next week. And I'm thankful for the deacons that we do have here uh, currently. Uh, But you can study that. You can read that ahead of time. Uh, We look forward to seeing you on Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, But until then, we hope that you have a good week. God bless.